0: All right, guys, you are Locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am talking with Inside the Pylon contributor and Locked on Patriots host, Mark Schofield, about the two most polarizing quarterback prospects of this year's draft, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, as well as the potential late round option for the Falcons at the quarterback position. You are Locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, founder of FoulFans.com, one of the longest running Falcon websites on the internet, host of this podcast, and of course I am on Twitter, at falcfans, freaking out about Julio Jones deleting his Twitter. Guys, today we are going to talk about this year's quarterback class. This is going to be a two-part episode. Today is going to be that first part. Tomorrow will be part two, where we will focus on on the top three sort of consensus guys and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Uh, but today we're going to focus on Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson because these two guys are pretty polarizing and can take up a full episode. Um, but to help me do that, I brought along with the Inside the Pylon quarterback guru as well as Locked on Patriots host Mark Schofield. We've had him many times on this podcast to talk not only NFL but also quarterbacks on the college level. Welcome back to the show, Mark.
1: Aaron, buddy, always great to be with you. And yeah, I, I sense a little anxiety in your voice, given the fact that Julio's now gone dark on Twitter. <laughs> and who knows what's happening there, yeah. man?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's a dark time in the Falcons franchise when Julio Jones's Twitter profile, you know, sets. Um, I, I just don't know what's going on. But we will, we will push through it and uh, talk about this year's quarterback class. Uh, before we kick things off, Mark, um, let's just, for the people out there, give your top five quarterbacks in this year's draft class. I think everybody generally agrees who are the five best, but everybody doesn't agree on quite the order of, in which those guys should be ranked. And then I'll follow up with my own sort of amateur uh, quarterback rankings. I have not done nearly as much work on these quarterbacks as you do, but I did enough work to pass as if I kind of know what I'm talking about for today's episode.
1: Hey, That's kind of the way I do it, Aaron. Just don't tell anybody about All that. Right. Um, <laughs> my top five, you, I go Josh Rosen, QB1, then Baker Mayfield, then Sam Darnold, then Lamar Jackson, and then Josh Allen. But you know, the beauty of this quarterback class, like so many, is you ask 10 different people, you'll get 10 different rankings, and that's why it's been so much fun to sort of watch these rankings unfold for everybody over the course of the past couple of months.
0: Yeah, for me, it's it's one, Josh Rosen, two, Sam Darnold, three, A, Baker Mayfield, three, B, Lamar Jackson, and then five, Josh Allen. And quickly to under- explain why I go three, A, three, B, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the way I would compare it to is many years ago when Julio Jones and A.J. Green were coming out. I sort mm-hmm. of looked objectively and said, okay, AJ Green is the better wide receiver prospect because he checks this many boxes that you're supposed to look for in a wide receiver. But for my personal opinion, I like Julio Jones. His style of play is a more physical, aggressive style of play a little bit better, even though I think AJ Green is objectively better. So in that case, like AJ Green would have been the 1A and Julio would have been the 1B. And so in this case, I, I feel like, you know, we'll touch upon this. Uh, later, but uh, I feel like Baker Mayfield is the objective better quarterback prospect. But I just have a, a thing for I like the how what Lamar Jackson brings potentially to the table, and and would sort of prefer to build my team around that as opposed to Baker Mayfield. Even though I am a big fan of Baker Mayfield,
1: yeah, I I, I totally understand that argument. I totally see where you're coming from with it, and I've said before, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. But Lamar is basically. You know, he's the ultimate sort of equalizing factor as a quarterback. And I think what he could potentially bring to an offense can't be replicated by almost anybody else in this quarterback class. There's that sort of X factor to him that makes him stand out amongst these guys. And I just think with Lamar, it's more of a question of will he find the home? Will he find the coach, the outlet, you know, the creativity in an offensive play caller to maximize that? Sometimes the NFL has failed in that regard, but I hope that this time they get it right. So
0: let's get into that. Let's let's talk a, a little bit about Lamar Jackson, then we'll get into Josh Allen and sort of compare and contrast a little bit, um, particularly sort of the narrative surrounding these two guys. But uh, you talk about Lamar Jackson. There's been comparisons to Michael Vick. There's been comparisons um, to RG three. I don't I don't know how you feel about the RG three comparison. I don't mind the RG three comparison. I think people look at it as a negative comparison just because rg3 didn't necessarily kind of fizzled out in the nfl for various reasons injuries or, or whatnot but i think people forget really how good rg3 was in 2012 and if i could get like that and you know hopefully injury free uh rg3 like that's a player i would take you know probably not this year just because of the quality of the quarterback but most years i'd probably take that number one in a draft in any day of the year
1: yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why people go down both the Vic and the RG3 roads when they look at Lamar Jackson. I think the thing that it is important to remember about RG3 is that, you know, the initial injuries were kind of freakish in nature. I mean, he had an awkward hit from Nata that started the knee injury. And then he was forced onto pl- that FedEx turf in a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks when – You know, Dan Snyder just couldn't take care of the field. I mean, the conditions were awful, and he's not the only, you know, Washington player or a visiting opponent to play in Washington at FedEx Field that had some sort of turf related injuries. And so, you know, you take that away, and you might still be talking about RG3 playing at a fairly high level. I mean, the thing to remember with Lamar, and this is something that really stood out to me, honestly, when he threw an interception, I believe it was against NC State, where he lowered his shoulder into i think it was a, a linebacker or a defensive lineman at the goal line trying to make a tackle and he didn't even move it was the other guy that moved backwards even though that guy had a full head of steam and so these sort of concerns about lamar that you know he, there's an injury concern with him or he's going to have to you know restrict his style of play because he's going to get hurt i think in a sense yeah he's going to need to learn to slide and protect himself but all rookie quarterbacks have to do that to an extent. I mean, we just saw Carson Wentz. Nobody ever had any sort of injury or size or frame concerns about him. He got hurt running the football. That's how he hurt his knee against the Rams. And so all these quarterbacks need to learn to protect themselves. And I think, you know, Lamar Jackson's no different in that sense, but I think it's become sort of overblown the fact that, oh, he's a run first quarterback, which he isn't. He was at a time, but he's not now. Oh, he's, you know, not going to take care of himself. He's going to get hurt. Well, haven't seen any injury concerns to date and it doesn't make him any difference than any other guy that's coming into the league.
0: And you talked about sort of him once upon a time being a a running quarterback and not being that today. And I'm curious, I've heard from other people. I can't necessarily say I've evaluated Lamar Jackson every year that he's been in school. I've I've certainly seen many of him in in the highlight reels, but um, talk about sort of the, the thought process that some people have in the in their evaluations, where they say every year that Lamar has been in in the in college, he has improved on some of the areas where he is weak at, and sort of where, if if true, what does that mean, sort of as part of his evaluation and his projection to the next level?
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll tackle the last part of that first, and it just it shows you that you know he's making strides as a quarterback every single year, mm-hmm. and that's something that you want to see because you know the recent discussion about Josh Rosen, which we'll get into you know in the second half of this. You know, or that perhaps Josh Rosen has hit his ceiling as a quarterback. Perhaps he's maxed out. While you can't say that about Lamar Jackson because of the strides he's taken as a quarterback, as a pocket passer. Now the year he won the Heisman, there were probably times when he did tuck it and go. He did escape from clean pockets or pull it down too quickly and, you know, transition from passer to runner faster than he should have. But Bobby Petrino and the Louisville coaching staff, they basically went to him you know, after that season basically said, you've got to take some leaps now as a quarterback. You know, you've know, you got to stay in the pocket and make some throws from the quarterback. You've got to become more of a pocket passer. The fact that you can run is great, but don't always rely on that. And we saw that pan out over the past season. And I think for me, with one play that stood out when I broke down his interceptions for a video over at our YouTube page, Inside the Pylon, is interception against Wake Forest. It was a third and short play in the red zone and he breaks the pocket and he's got the sideline he's got the chains for a first down but he's you could almost see it in his mind aaron that he's thinking i gotta make a throw here i i, I could run for a first down sure but i gotta make a throw and he ends up forcing the throw into the into the end zone and it's intercepted and I, when i watched that i couldn't help but think here's a guy that's been told i'm a run first guy that's now been told by his coaches he's gotta be more of a passer be more of a pocket quarterback and Here he is forcing a place almost like he 's just holding himself back in that instance. I would have loved to see him just you know tuck it and go there, um, but I think when you again when you watch him over the past season, the developmental strides were there. they put more on his play from a coaching staff staff perspective, asking him to do more at the line of scrimmage checks, protections, get them in and out of plays, and he 's running a pro style offense so all of these like little narratives about him you know he hasn't you know he 's a run first guy or he's not running a pro style offense. You know, I think if you dig in and sort of watch Lamar Jackson and go through both his tape and then understand the Bobby Petrino offense, he's running a pro-style offense. And every other quarterback that's come out of a Bobby Petrino system, whether it's, you know, Tyler Wilson or Ryan Mallett, nobody ever said they weren't running pro-style offenses. If anything, people said, oh, they're running a pro-style offense under Bobby Petrino. So it's curious that Lamar Jackson's not getting that same kind of credit, but here we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um before we move on, I want to talk a little bit more about Lamar Jackson, then we'll get to Josh Allen. Uh, but since I have Mark here, I, I want to plug the Locked On Patriots podcast, uh, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, Mark, we, we talked about some of the positives that Lamar Jackson brings, but I do want to talk about some of the legitimate concerns that you saw in his game um, as he projects to the NFL that you do think are going to be issues that whoever winds up drafting him is going to have to, you know, every quarterback, there are no perfect quarterbacks in the league, even though I'm sure you you might offer Tom Brady up there. And I, I... He's
1: got his flaws too, my friend. He oh. eats avocado ice cream. That's one of them. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I do think, you know, every quarterback has obstacles that you have to overcome, and, and certainly the less obstacles you have, the better, It the easier it is for a team to sort of surround them with the necessary talent. It takes – for all quarterbacks to win at this in this league. But I'm sort of curious, sort of, what are the issues that you think the team that winds up with Lamar Jackson is going to have to deal with? Is it the accuracy? Is it um his tendency or the occasional tendency for him to try to break outside the pocket as opposed to always trying to stand in there and make throws from the pocket and try to use his legs and, and that opens the door for um you know, I guess for more hits on him and, and and sort of maybe it leaves certain throws on the field like you saw uh, in the case of a guy like Russell Wilson early in his career um, where you know he wasn't always necessarily making all the best decisions from the pocket and, and you know sort of was living and dying a little bit from making the plays off structure. But where are your where are your concerns with Lamar Jackson?
1: I mean, I think you do have to start with sort of the the accuracy issues. And a lot of people point to the completion percentage numbers and say, look, you know, he's not completing sixty percent of his passes or whatever number of threshold you want to use. And they say that look, he's not an accurate quarterback. But I think that sort of, you know, overstates the issue. I think he's not an inaccurate quarterback. I think it's just inconsistent. And a lot of it stems from his thrown base, his throwing platform. If you watch him, there are times and you can go back to 2016. He had a throw in a corner out against Boston College. And he threw for a touchdown. He put it right on the money. But his feet, Aaron, were literally right next to each other when he started to throw. He throws from an extremely narrow throwing base. And it's something that they have worked on. You know, it's an issue that they identified at Louisville, but it doesn't lead to overstriding. And when you're throwing from a different base each time, You know, sometimes it you know, you'll step too far or you won't step far enough, and that adjusts your release point, your release angle, and it causes some inconsistency. You know, and there were times when he'll make the same he'll throw the same route and basically the same situation from a clean pocket against a similar off coverage or whatever, and one will be right on the money and one will be overthrown by, you know, five feet. And so it's just when he can get consistency in the throwing motion, particularly with the lower body, I think you'll see those accuracy numbers improve. So that's one area. The other area is and this you see this a lot with all young quarterbacks is they can stare down routes at times. You look at the interception he threw against Clemson. He got baited into making a mistake. He thought the receiver, I mean, excuse me, the defender wasn't going to buzz the flat and he did and he stared it down and he led the defender right to the football. He needs to stop doing things like that. So those are the two areas but you know, we see a lot of young quarterbacks make mistakes where they stare down routes, so I'm not worried about that one as much. You know, fixing the throne platform, that is a big issue for him, and if he cleans it up, I think you will see those accuracy numbers improve.
0: So with Lamar Jackson, when you're sort of projecting the team that sort of ideally can build an offense around him, is it sort of that Kyle Shanahan-esque offense that uh, Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson, is it an offense that sort of relies on the running game a lot of the boot action stuff that can sort of use his legs to an advantage Um, or is it another type of offense that you sort of see him fitting in obviously with the Petrino system he he works in an already an Earhart Perkins style of offense do you see that as the ideal sort of situation for him to blossom at the next level
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he could run a system like that, you know, like, say, for example, New England, that's running basically an Aaron Perkins offense right now. He's running basically a, you know, a version of that under Patrina. So I think that could work. I mean, I think also, like you said, sort of the, you know, a West Coast rooted type offense run one that, you know, incorporates some spread stuff, you know, incorporates a little bit of the RPO game to allow him to use his athleticism at times, not a ton, but just enough to keep defenses on honest. I think that would be a good fit too. You know, your listeners might not want to hear this one, but new Orleans is probably a very good fit for him. And, you know, obviously Sean Payton, more of the traditional West coast branch, but they've incorporated some air raid stuff. Payton's been a pretty creative play caller. I can only imagine that, you know, when we're hearing that he would have drafted Patrick Mahomes last year, you know, he's thinking about life after Breeze. And so, you know, that's an option. If somehow Lamar Jackson falls that far in the draft, I'd be surprised if he did. But that's another system where I think, you know, Lamar Jackson could come in and eventually be a very, very good to great quarterback in the NFL. Okay.
0: Now, um, we will circle back and talk a little bit about Lamar again. But I do want to get to Josh Allen and talk about, what are his strengths? Obviously, the arm strength is the thing that stands out. The athleticism is another thing that stands out. And it's another reason why I think comparing these two quarterbacks makes a lot of sense, just because a lot of their strengths are similar in a lot of ways. What are your thoughts on sort of Josh Allen's strengths?
1: Yeah, I mean, the two things that jump out right away are the things he can do with his right arm and the athleticism. And in terms of sort of the catch races, arm talent, arm strength, all that kind of stuff, however you want to describe it, Josh Allen has it. I mean, the ability to throw the ball as far as you can, yeah, sure, check. The ability to put high RPMs on it, you know, 74 miles per hour or, you know, what was the thing they saw last week? The fingertip speed that was like 74 miles an hour, which I don't know what that means anything. But you can't deny the fact he can dial up velocity better than pretty much everybody in the most couple most recent classes with the exception perhaps of Patrick Mahomes. So he does that. And he has athleticism to go with that. He can extend plays. He can move around. He can break tackles in the pocket. He's a tough guy to bring down at times. And so there's that element to him, too. Like, there's also the fact that he was a multiple year starter in a quote unquote pro style of offense that had a lot of them under center, a lot of them, you know, making play action fakes and coming out and throwing deep balls or using deep drops into the pocket. So Coaches see that and they think, oh, I can make that work in the National Football League. And there are times that, look, when he's confident enough in the read, in the coverage, and his decision, you can see him be, I don't want to say fast with his decisions, but quick enough. And he even starts to you know, set himself as he hits the top of his drop to make whichever throw he's going to make. Now, that being said, there are a number of flaws with him right now. The upside is there for sure. But the issue is that all the other stuff that goes into the play in the quarterback position, it's not there yet. And it hasn't been for a while. I mean, last summer when I was talking about him, I comped him basically to Nuke Lelouch from Bull Durham. And I basically said, that's who he is right now. He's got a million-dollar arm, but he needs to learn every other aspect of – well, with Nuke Lelouch and Bull Durham, it was every other aspect of pitching. And with Allen, it's every other aspect of playing the quarterback position, touch, time and anticipation, rhythm, all that sort of stuff it's that's still who he is right now you see him down in mobile trying to throw a corner out with a cornerback in underneath coverage he can't do it if he has to use touch it's a roller coaster ride he might get there eventually and if he does he could if he finds the right spot he could become a good quarterback in the national football league the talent is there but it's just so many times Aaron and you know this too when we have these toolsy-type guys that need a lot of development, how often does that happen? And sort of the final thing on Allen is this. We're hearing these rumors about Allen to Cleveland at one overall. My f- biggest fear with him is that he's forced into action in a situation too early when he, doesn't have, he hasn't had the chance to sort of refine what he needs to refine. What happens if they start out 0-5 and, and Hugh Jackson's job is on the line and they've drafted Josh Allen number one overall? They're going to force him onto the field, and that's how quarterbacks get ruined. And that's my ultimate fear with them. Ideally, he falls to, you know, the Chargers, the Ravens, the Patriots, and gets a year or two to sit. Then he might realize the potential inside of him. But he's going to get drafted in the top five, and that I think just sets him up to fail.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting with Josh Allen because I think if you're a fan of Josh Allen, the, the type of quarterback you're sort of comparing him to is a guy like Cam Newton, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's reasons to see sort of elements of Josh Allen's game that are very similar to Cam Newton, I I think. But I think one of the core differences, at least from my perspective, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious if you agree, is one of the differences that Cam Newton kind of carried his Auburn team on his back. And so even though Cam was far from a polished quarterback, he was at least we had seen him do something where he could basically go to a bad team and, and carry that team. And you can argue that Cam has been carrying that Carolina offense for the, the better part of his seven years in the NFL. Um, and, you know, you see the ups and downs with Cam, and certainly that does affect the outcomes of, of some of the Panthers' games. And you do wonder, with Allen not being able to do that at, at Wyoming, certainly, you know, you would many would say, well, there's a difference between playing in the SEC versus playing in the WAC or the Mountain West, or I don't even know where wyoming is nowadays but we know from past experience that that auburn team was not very laden with nfl talent because i think what they won like one game the year after cam newton was there and i think nick Fairley was like the only guy that is that actually played an nfl game that was on that that um 2010 team um so it's one of those things where it's like Yeah, Auburn certainly, I would say the talent in Auburn was probably better than it is at Wyoming, but it is one of those things where you look at a guy like Josh Allen in particular, and and the Falcon fans know this guy because they just drafted him last year, and you saw in in 2016 how effective Josh Allen, or how much more effective Josh Allen was uh, with Brian Hill being that workhorse running back and putting up the production that he did in 2016. For those of you that don't know, Hill had 349 carries for 1860 yards, 5.3 5.3 yards per carry, 22 touchdowns. And then you fast forward to 2017 where, you know, two guys that were the replacements for him, Woods and Overstreet, uh, combined for about 250 carries for less than 1,000 yards, un- averaged under four yards a carry, and only had five touchdowns. And you sort of saw this big dip in Allen's um, production in terms, particularly as, as, as sort of some of his efficiency numbers, uh, particularly with the yards per attempt and whatnot. And so I guess for me the question with Josh Allen is, I feel like he's, while you see the Cam Newton type upside, I do feel like if he's going to be successful in the NFL, he's going to have to be put in a situation like a Blake Bortles this past season or like a Mark Sanchez early in his career where he's going to a team that has a dominant run game um, and also has a dominant defense defense that is going to basically prevent him from having to really have to have a major, major impact on the game for those people that don't realize the the first two years that Mark Sanchez was the quarterback of the Jets, they went to the the AFC Championship both years but people don't realize is that they ran the ball 30% more than the average NFL team in those two seasons they they ran the ball 15% more than the second place team in the Kansas City Chiefs that were number two on on most rushing attempts during those two year spans, so it was really a very run heavy based offense and basically it put Sanchez in better situations to not have to carry the load and I feel like if Josh Allen doesn't have that exact same scenario when he gets on the field early in the season early in his career he's going to struggle and not sort of live up to that Cam Newton's type billing what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah, and it's I'm pretty much right there with you. And it's interesting, Aaron, that you mentioned the Jacksonville Jaguars because I think if you look at them overall, like you mentioned, you know, a, a dominant defense that can get him some short fields, you know, a, a strong running game that allows him to make throws into an out of play action, you know, with somewhat of a vertical element to them. I think that's sort of the ideal offensive setup for Josh Allen. And you know, I, I you know, what I wrote him up. You know, ideally, in my mind, and I'm reading right from my rankings on him, Allen falls to a team with an established quarterback, and he gets a season or two to develop and refine the aspects of his game that need work. That he can take over as a second or third year QB, and hopefully, reach his potential. In some rare instances, he can play as a rookie, ideally for a team with a stout defense that can get him short fields, a strong running game, and a system that suits him. Stares at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I wrote, and I think that would be ideal for him. I think that. You know, the way to reach his map's upside and his potential is to, I don't want to say baby him right away, but protect him, you know, and not that that's a bad thing. I mean, look at the New England Patriots. They protect Tom Brady. They do things to get him looks. They do things with motion and shifting to get him easy reads. Helping your quarterback is fine. You just have to identify what he needs help with and identify the system that fits him best. And then build around that, and I think that would be ideal. If you're going to draft Josh Allen, you know, say say the Giants do it, and they're running basically, you know, Pat Schumer's more of a West Coast guy. I think you're asking for trouble. You know, at some point, you're just asking for trouble. And you know, Cleveland has said that look, they'll structure the offense around what the quarterback does. And Haley's a vertical guy, so yeah, that could theoretically work. But I think you really need to have a strong roster around him to sort of take care of him, protect him. And allow him to come along slowly where he's not asked to do too much right away.
0: Okay, we got more to touch upon with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, as well as some day three gyms for the Falcons. But I want to remind you guys, since we're talking draft, check out the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with hosts John Gledgert and Trevor Sikova, part of Lockdown mm-hmm. Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, Mark, let's talk a little bit about sort of the differing narratives, and we'll sort of leave off. Here with the Allen and Jackson talk before we start talking about Kurt Bankert, but um, it's interesting to me sort of the differing narratives with Lamar Jackson, where he's sort of being hailed. I think I don't think Lamar Jackson is a perfect quarterback presser. I think there are a lot of issues that he's going to have to overcome at the next level. Just like I think the same is the case with Josh Allen. But it is fascinating to me sort of how there's a differing narrative surrounding these two players, where people look at Josh Allen and sort of the lack of development and the lack of nuance to his game and say. Well, he's got he's big, he's tall, and he's got that monster arm. We can coach up the rest. And they look at Lamar Jackson and sort of the the nuance and and sort of the things that he needs more refinement with. It's like, well, we can't coach those things. And you know, the whole move him to a different position thing was ridiculous. Withstanding, but it, it's one of those things where he it's like the consensus surrounding um, Jackson is that he's not even on the same level as you know the other four quarterbacks in this draft and like i feel like the more accurate statement if anything if i was even going to concede this and not necessarily agree but concede it to if it was like three quarterbacks and then there was lamar jackson and josh allen i could understand that a lot more um than oh no there's four quarterbacks and josh allen is on the same level as guys like darnold and rosen and, and mayfield and, and then there's another you know there's a gap between those guys and and Lamar Jackson. What are your thoughts sort of on how, you know, Jackson might fall out of, you know, the narrative is Jackson might fall out of the first round and, and Lamar and, and, and Josh Allen is, um, you know, in the mix, a possibility to be the number one pick.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I do find it somewhat odd that, you know, here we are a couple of days before the draft and we're hearing more and more that, you know, Allen might go one overall, but yet Lamar Jackson might fall. Down into the 20s or even out of the first round. And you know I, I've tried to come up with a reason behind it. I think what I keep coming back to, Aaron, is the men and women that are in the rooms that are going to be making these decisions. You know, They've got bills to pay. They've got mortgages to pay. They've got kids in private schools or whatever. And when they're facing the prospects of potentially losing their job over the decision these teams make, they would almost rather – make the quote-unquote safe mistake. Because if you draft Josh Allen and he busts, you can always say, look, he looked the part. You know, big, tall, athletic, strong arm, could throw the football a mile. Whereas if you draft a Lamar Jackson or a Baker Mayfield, for example, it's, well, look, you these were sort of, you know, exceptions. You know, they were other undersized or the style of offense? You were, like, really taking a risk there. You're more likely to get fired because of that than, you know... Drafted Josh Allen. And so I think that might be just it. It might be just as simple as, you know, we've seen this before, you know, even with Cam Newton, people saying, oh, Blaine Gabbert is QB1 over him. You know, the guy that sort of looks to be the safe mistake, it's almost easier to make that decision, even though it could be the wrong one, than it a risk for somebody who isn't really a risk because they're probably as good, if not a better quarterback prospect overall. And so for guys like us on the outside, you know, I'm not getting fired if my takes are wrong. You know, I can just put together the ranking system I think is right, put together the quarterback who's on top of the board that I think is the better guy, and that leads me to Josh Allen.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. And full disclosure, I was I was one of those people that had Gavrett QB one. So um I mean and you know, mistakes
1: happen and, yeah. and that's fine. I just think for these NFL decision makers, I think for a lot of them, you know, and I've I've heard this from people incidentally here and there. You know, you'd rather make this sort of safer mistake because it's going to allow you to keep your job in the end.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a a really good way. Look, the Jets took Christian Hackenberg, and the same people yep. that were able to draft Christian Hackenberg in the top fifty or still have the jobs, head coach and GM. So, um, you know, there 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 does seem to be something to that. Um, Let's wrap this episode up and talk a little bit about Kurt Bankert. He was a quarterback that the Falcons brought in for one of their top 30 visits. Um, amongst, the Falcons have worked out a number of quarterbacks in this draft class, um, including Baker Bankert and, and Tanner Lee and Riley Ferguson, and shown some interest in a number of guys, Quentin Flowers as well. Um, but it does seem like of the guys that they've shown the most interest in, Bankert seems to be probably the most draftable. Would you agree with that, Mark? Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I look at Ben and I I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that we should remember about him is his, say, first half, maybe first five-eighths of his game against Miami, some of the best quarterback tape we've seen out of anybody Mm -hmm. in this entire class. I mean, that was a standout, stellar performance against one of the top defenses in the country last year. Now, what happened? He went on and made the one big mistake. He stared down a route, threw a pick six, and they ended up losing that game. But you're seeing him making like, tough timing and rhythm throws, replacing the blitz with the ball extremely well, getting hit in the face and coming right back up, showing that competitive toughness. And so as far as like those developmental guys, when you get into that like fifth sixth round, you know, I think Banker could – potentially been a lot to the table for a number of different offenses. And, you know, he's very athletic throwing on the move. And he's got the ability to throw to all levels when he's throwing on the move. So I look at him potentially, you know, in that, you know, Shanahan-esque, you know, Atlanta-esque offense that they've been running. And I think it would be a great fit.
0: Yeah, you know, I I look at Banker and, you know, he wasn't a guy necessarily was paying a whole lot of attention to. And then I, you know, I kept hearing from you and, and guys like John Ledyard talking about that first half of that Miami, I did go back and watch it, and it was a very impressive performance. Uh, I'm trying to think, that what was the other game I watched of his?
1: He um, had a good game against Boise State. Yeah, too. that
0: was the other game I watched. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, if even if these are his two best games, that, I, that convinces me that if the Falcons were looking to pull the trigger on a sort of developmental backup behind Matt Schaub, um, to sort of be a guy with Matt Schaub entering his contract year, in 2018 and, and sort of having a guy, you know, that will have a year in the system ready to take over that spot as opposed to starting fresh, whether that's a veteran or, or a rookie in 2019. Um, it makes a lot of sense why the Falcons would be attracted to Banker. And I think the fact that, you know, I, I saw that he, he graduated in three years at um, East Carolina or something like that. Yep. I think he's married, you know, he, he seems like a guy that's sort of mature for the position and certainly um You know, we can discuss whether or not he has maybe starters upside. And certainly if he got drafted in Atlanta, I don't think that would be something that was necessarily in the plans uh, for his future in Atlanta. But certainly he does seem to have check a lot of the boxes that you're looking for in a guy that could be a high level backup and and certainly maybe a guy that you could sort of groom um, as a long term replacement uh, for Matt Ryan, you know, five to seven years down the road if he manages to stick that long
1: yeah i think that's exactly right it, you know and, and and studying him you see some of the things that he does well you know I, I like the way he sort of attacks the middle of the field that's something you don't see a lot with you know college quarterbacks but he makes some pretty nice throws between the hash marks which is you know obviously something you see a lot in nfl offenses. atlanta being no exception and so yeah if you're you know looking in that sort of day three range he's somebody that i think most teams would have you know their eyes on to potentially you know take a you know use say a fourth fifth round pick on and i think atlanta should be no exception to that
0: okay well mark um go ahead and plug uh where people can find your stuff i appreciate you coming on and talking with me we will certainly be talking a little bit more uh, about these quarterbacks in in just a bit but to go ahead and, and plug uh your your twitter and as well as your other websites and podcasts
1: all right my friend well as always aaron thanks for uh, for having me on, my friend, always awesome to chat with you. Um, you can check out the work over at InsideThePylon.com. You can also check out the Inside The Pylon Draft Guide. That's at ITPDraftGuide.com. Uh, for locked on listeners, you can use promo code LONFL when you purchase it to get five dollars off. We had a team of over fifty men and women rating players, grading players. Started last summer, um, we turned in over you know we watched over five hundred and thirty different players. Turned in over a thousand reports on these guys. You get multiple people at each position, so you're not just getting my thoughts on quarterbacks, getting, you know, Ted Wynn, Tim Chow, Kirk Kalin, and others. Um, So it's a really good team effort that we put together. We think people will like it. So you can check that out, itpdraftguide.com.
0: Okay. Uh, I can definitely vouch for the draft guide. Definitely, guys, check it out. It is is certainly one of the better draft guides, if not the best draft guide, that you could possibly purchase uh, this offseason if you want to get in-depth insight into several of these prospects. So definitely check that out. Uh, Again, Mark, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will be talking very shortly about the top three quarterbacks in this draft class.
1: Sounds good, my friend.
0: Okay, guys. That's it, man. Part one of our quarterback series. I've said multiple times this offseason, I think the quarterback is the most fascinating position, particularly with these five guys, because this is a draft, by and large, where, you know, teams like Cleveland, among others, spurned quarterbacks last year because they felt like the quarterback draft class this upcoming season in 2018 was going to be worth it for them. Now they're in a position to do so with their number one pick. Uh, we will be talking about one of those guys potentially on tomorrow's podcast and Sam Darnold and as well as some of the other top quarterbacks in this draft class. But I appreciate Mark for hanging out with me uh, for a full double podcast. Um, if you guys want to get your feedback in, you can do so. I'm on Twitter at FalcFans. If you send me a podcast related tweet, just let me know. Uh, if it is podcast related, just go ahead and send it over to Locked On Falcons. That is the show's Twitter handle. You could also reach us on Facebook. Locked On Falcons is the Facebook page. If you prefer email, lockedonfalcons at com is that address. And of course, you can leave a comment at lockedonfalcons.com. Dot com or foulfans.com where the podcast is posted daily. Again, want to remind you tomorrow we will do part two, talking about Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield, and then on Thursday, we will be talking about the Falcons draft, putting it all, a button on everything that we've talked about to sort of give you an idea uh, who we think or what we think the Falcons will do on night one of the draft, so you can definitely check that out on Thursday morning, uh, as you get your final preparations, as you're cooking up those chicken wings in in preparation for watching the draft in prime time, or, you know, I'm, I'm talking about what I'm planning on doing. I'm going to be eating me a whole load of chicken wings on that day. Um, so it's going to be a good night regardless anyway for me, whoever the Falcons take. So we'll find out. I, I have no idea what the Falcons are going to do. Trade up, stay put, trade back. Take a corner, take a deep tackle, take a linebacker, take a guard. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's been going in one direction, but you know these last couple of weeks makes it seem like they're going in another direction. And you know this is smokescreen season, so maybe the Falcons are doing a really good job at selling us the bill of goods, or is selling me the bill of goods that they might be not going in that direction. But I have been thrown enough curveballs with the Falcons draft over the years. That you know, I will bite on the on the smokescreen. I guess every year at this point in time, because they tend to zig when we think they're going to zag. So, we'll see what happens. And until then, guys, you stay locked on.
1: You are locked on Falcons. Your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.